Welcome to the Biz News Power Hour, where we give you the rational perspective on business news that matters. Indeed we do, and tonight we have got one of those, uh, well, very special programs for you. Jean-Pierre Fester is our guest co-host tonight. Jean-Pierre, lovely to have you on the program again, this time in a more permanent capacity. You'll be talking to us throughout the show tonight. Thanks, Alex. Yes, looking forward to it. Thank you for having me tonight. And one of the heavyweights, and I don't mean this because of his physicality, is with us tonight around about 6 o'clock, a South African businessman whose gamble has turned out to be spectacularly successful, Neil Froneman, uh, who is the chief executive of Sibanya Stillwater. I'm sure, Justin, you've got a few questions uh, for Neil tonight. Definitely, Alec, but a gamble, risk comes from not knowing what you're doing. So if you know what you're doing, it can't necessarily be considered a gamble. When they bought Stillwater in the United States, let me tell you, there were many people around this little town of ours, this mining camp of ours called Johannesburg, who thought Neil had overreached. My goodness, has he proved them wrong. You're right. It's, uh, it was a calculated risk, which has turned out the numbers are spectacular. We'll talk to Neil round about the top of the hour. We're also going to be talking to Kevin Wakeford tonight. Kevin has been uh, pilloried in the media. He, he was a whistleblower going back a long time ago, a very forthright, um, God-fearing person who today had his day in the sun at the Zondo Commission after Angelo Agrizi had made some very serious allegations against Wakeford. Wakeford responded with an affidavit. Agrizi came back. Then Wakeford responded with another affidavit. And today he laid everything on the table at the Zondo Commission, and it makes some compelling listening. We'll be talking to Kevin around about quarter past six this evening. Before that, in the first half of the show, we'll be um, well having a look at the Cuban situation. Brilliant piece in the Financial Mail this week by Justice Malala, who says to the ANC, just come clean. We know you love Cuba, but rather just send them the money than pay them for engineers we don't need or uh, drug, COVID-19 drugs that don't work, or mechanics that, uh, well, and so on and so forth, doctors who, who can't communicate. Rather, if you be honest with it, that's what Justice says. We'll be talking to Tiens Dubasson, who is with the Solidarity Research Institute, who's been going into some detail on finding out about South Africa's relationship with Cuba and why these engineers have come to the country in the first place. Tiens, nice to have you on the show. Yeah, nice to be here. Thanks, Alec. Oh, we're looking forward to those insights too. And then John Avadia, tell us the story there, Justin. Uh, the FSCA have come out and said that OVEX aren't regulated to give financial advice. Um, they've sort of been advertising the fact that they can arbitrage the cryptocurrencies markets very profitably for you. And the, the FSCA have basically come out and said that they've got no leg to stand on. So it'll be interesting to see what John has to say. He was on this show. He was in the studio a little while ago before we stopped bringing people into the studio because we feel it's a little small and a little, <laughs> little cozy. Um, but in our new studio, of course, that'll change. And I remember saying to him that night, John, have you lost your mind? What you're saying now is the is actually a red rag to the regulatory bulls. You can't just drive a bulldozer exactly. uh, through the regulations. And, of course, they have reacted. Exactly. Often when it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. So, I'm sure John will be able to unpack further for us, Alec. It's a great show coming up and uh, look forward to being in your company right through until 6.30, wherever you might be in the world, not just uh, through Fine Music Radio in Cape Town and through our live streaming, but now we're also on YouTube so you can see us. And uh, we do have a very wide stretch uh, at biznews.com given our global South Africans who might be all over the place. But first, we'll find out from one of those our editor-at-large, Scots-based Jackie Cameron, who still speaks like a South African, who brings us up to date with today's headlines. ANC President Cyril Ramaphosa is shocked and dismayed by a letter from ANC Secretary-General Ace Magashule. Magashule made an unauthorized attempt to suspend Ramaphosa as party president. Ramaphosa says Magashule's points are null and void, according to reports. Magashula has been suspended by the ANC but has been insisting he remains Secretary-General as he has lodged an appeal with the party. 
He says the party's 2017 resolution calls for all those facing allegations of corruption to step aside and not just those facing corruption and serious charges. ESCOM, South Africa's state power utility, does not want to buy electricity from the company that won most of a government emergency power tender. This is because it's concerned about the cost and length of the contract. Bloomberg reports that meeting the terms of Car Powership's 20-year deal will add pressure to ESCOM's already stretched finances and heighten its exposure to fossil fuels. The company had a debt burden of 464 billion rand and is struggling to meet payments even with the help of state bailouts. There have been allegations of corruption in connection with the car powership deal. Zimbabwe plans to list a bond on the local exchange for the first time in 20 years. This is to raise funds for the expansion and upgrade of a main highway that links the country to its largest trading partner, South Africa. The $250 million listing by the Infrastructure Development Bank of Zimbabwe will be the first note issuance on the Zimbabwe Stock Exchange since 2001. Total trade between South Africa and Zimbabwe stood at $2.4 billion last year. The 580-kilometer road that links the capital, Harare, to Bight Bridge, one of Africa's busiest border crossings, is currently too narrow to deal with the vast amount of traffic. On average, about 25,000 people and 500 trucks pass through Bight Bridge daily. The border point has been closed to non-commercial traffic since January to stop the spread of the coronavirus. The world's most vaccinated nation has activated curbs against COVID-19 as cases rise. The Seychelles, which has fully vaccinated more of its population against the coronavirus than any other country, has closed schools and cancelled sporting activities for two weeks as infections surge. Most of the doses administered in the Seychelles are from Sinopharm in China and the rest are from Covishield, a version of AstraZeneca's shot made under license in India. South African miner Sabanya Stillwater has posted a 78% increase in first quarter core profit. This has been driven by higher metals prices and improved operational performance. High prices for metals extracted by Sabanya, including gold, platinum, palladium and rhodium, have boosted profits against a backdrop of supply disruptions and strong demand. And that brings to a close your BizNews Flash Briefing. I'm Jenny Cameron for BizNews. For more on those stories and the other big stories of the day, do go to biznewsradio.com. Jean-Pierre, there's so much that we can unpack there, but just as a very brief note, isn't it interesting? The last election, the DA was in disarray, the official opposition. Now it looks like the ANC is actually shooting itself in the foot just ahead of the uh, October 27 local elections this year. It's going to make it an interesting contest. It is, although one would hope with the renewal from an ANC perspective that um, they can actually claw back some of their losses. Uh, and who knows, maybe next it might be the EFF going through some issues. So as with most, th- most things in politics, uh, it seems like there's never a, a stage where the politics are stable and there, where there's not some kind of uh, allegation or, or major issue that really is to the detriment of whichever party. So uh, I, one would think that in South Africa our politics will get cleaner and cleaner, but unfortunately... It does seem like uh, there, there are no clean shirts in, in politics, as we see with the Zondo Commission now again. Yeah, it is, it's, it's quite extraordinary, though, to get a guy who's been so well documented with his corruption uh, responding by saying, well, the president of the country must now step down. Not the crooked former president that everybody knows is a crook. Uh, he hasn't been suspended. But the, uh, the sitting president is, it's, it just goes on and on. Justin, I'm really excited before we go on to, uh, the, the markets for today, the news out of Zimbabwe. We've been seeing some green shoots there. Uh, certainly talking to Eddie Cross a couple of weeks ago. He said things are going better there in Zimbabwe than when we think. And this $250 million loan, the first in 20 years on the Harare Stock Exchange, so that the, the road between Harare and Bartbridge can be fixed. It's got to tell you something's going on there. Very interesting, Alec. This was news to me the first I heard, but I'd love to ask Jean-Pierre. Jean-Pierre, who's going to actually take up that bond, given that the biggest risk to the bond market is inflation, and we know where that goes in Zimbabwe. Yes. So, uh, you know, if you think about what is the asset that inflation is the worst for, it probably is a bond, and it's specifically a long-term bond. So uh, a, a purchase of such a bond would probably not do it for a return, it might be developmental agencies or other sources of capital that might say, instead of wanting to generate a return, uh, they are effectively helping out the country. And the bond gives you some additional rights and checks and balances, like covenants, 
so that if it isn't paid back, you can have some security, some protection. It's better than equities. But I would be very surprised if any investor with a financial uh, type of target or return that needs to be generated on this would buy the bond because I think there's very high risk from a financial perspective. Oh, indeed there is. Okay, so a bright rock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity and the markets aren't any different. The daily movements in the markets mean change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever needs matched <coughs> life assurance that changes as your life changes. Justin? The JSE All Share Index was up at 67,600. Some of the highlights included Sabanya up a percent and a half to 67 Rand as, as the company announced an upbeat Q1 trading statement. ABM Biv up 4.5% to 1,050 Rand a share as the company announced a better than expected quarter one performance and a change in chief executive. Distal up 4.5% to 132 Rand as people start loading up for the weekend ahead and Sappy down 4.5% to 48 Rand a share. In the currency markets, the rand strengthened against all the major currencies to 14 rand 23 cents to the dollar, 19 rand 76 cents to the pound, and 17 rand 16 cents to the euro. Gold is up at $1,814 an ounce. Brent crude is trading at $69 a barrel, and the premier cryptocurrency will put you back 810,000 rand a Bitcoin. It's interesting, although Bitcoin has come back, uh, listening to you every night, Brent crude just seems to be edging higher and higher, doesn't it? Touched 70 yesterday, a little bit of a pullback towards 69. But yeah, at these, uh, at these levels, companies like Sassel are making a killing. So I guess good for the investors that, that spotted that value. Yeah, those, all those investors that uh, Charles Savage was telling us about who rode through the Sassel bump and are still with it. Well, this market report was made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever needs made. Uh, let's try that one again. This market report was made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever Needs matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour brought to you by the team at biznews.com. Well, as promised, Tian Stubason joins us now. He is uh, the economics researcher at the Solidarity Research Institute who put out a note today on the Cuban story, and in particular, the 24 Cuban water engineers that have been brought into South Africa when we have, well, quite a few water engineers who are unemployed. So the whole thing just kind of uh, as it bemuses the rational minds. Tiens, what's going on here? Yeah, well, Alec, it's um, not such a simple question. Basically, what's going on is... Um, the ANC feels that they've enjoyed the support of Cuba to get where they are as the ruling party in uh, what they call a free South Africa. And um, it's now payback time. So every chance, every opportunity they have, money is funneled and channeled towards Cuba. And unfortunately, it's not the ANC paying the price for it. It's every single one of us because it's taxpayers' money being used. So what the ANC is doing is, well, I don't think they have much interest in getting our water infrastructure up to standard. It's more about proving their commitment to the communist cause. It's an interesting point here because when the Cuban doctors came to South Africa, uh, there was a very uh, strong narrative that was presented to say Cuba has a good medical system. Leaving that aside for a moment, how good is Cuba's water system that we're bringing in their engineers to help fix ours? Yeah, you'd expect it to be good if if our minister says we can learn something from it from them, but that's very very far from the truth. Um, they've got like we have load shedding in um, Cuba. They take turns at having water, and it's it's atrocious. Um, they most neighborhoods only have running water for two hours every five days. Um, drinking water is supplied on um, carts, sometimes even drawn by horses. Um, yeah, during the times that people do have running water, they catch it in tanks and Cuba being a tropical island, they then have to make plans to um, not get the water, do not allow the water to get infected with mosquitoes and other carriers of tropical diseases, so then um, health authorities go again and go around and treat people's um, water that they've now stored in buckets 
or if they're wealthy enough in tanks on top of their houses to create that. But sometimes even the chemicals run out. So um, authorities go around and release little fish into people's water tanks. So it's a ridiculous system um, that doesn't work. If anyone believes that we can learn much from Cuba, we simply can't. When it, in terms of water infrastructure, Cuba is also not a very good example there because their last major um, water infrastructure project was finished in 1985 when the Soviet Union was still around to fund it. These are extraordinary uh, facts that you've given us. Have where do you get them from, and and, and how uh, how accurate are they? Because are they because if if what you've said is accurate, then we should be sending water engineers to Cuba to help them <laughs> out of their problems, not the other way around. Yeah, well, um, as I've said, it's got very little to do with fixing our water problem and more about um, patting each other on the back. Um, you were there in the border war, now we're here when you need money. It's, it's kind of a system like that, back scratching. Yeah, um, I mean, South African engineers are basically um, erecting dams and the infrastructure across all of Africa. If you um, go to pretty much any African country, you're bound to bump into a South African engineer somewhere. And yet we bringing in guys from Cuba. What's the what's the real story here? Is are these engineers uh, just a way for Cuba to Cuba's government to earn money from the South African government? In other words, you said payback time. We know Cuba's got serious financial difficulties as a nation. Is this one of the ways? As we saw with the drugs that they sent uh, for COVID nineteen, which didn't work but we paid 200 million rands for, and the, the mechanics that were sent to the South African National Defence Force when, well, there are more than enough unemployed mechanics in South Africa who could have done those jobs. Is that the real story here? Yeah, on the night of the mechanics, what gets even more ridiculous is that most of those vehicles were sold for scrap a couple of months later. Um, so it's wasteful expenditure beyond belief. It's literally all about channeling money towards Cuba. Um, in terms of the engineers, there's about where the money goes and is that Cuba's latest scheme. There's absolutely no transparency, transparency about that. So there is not much of a way to tell. But what we do know is with their doctors, um, they do basically view their their doctors as an export product, as a commodity. So you get doctors from Cuba, you, you pay them, but the Cuban government then um, basically takes up to 90% sometimes of the Cuban doctors' salaries. It, the numbers differ according to which sources you read, but almost none of the money paid for the Cuban doctors actually lands in that doctor's pocket. So we can only guess that it's a similar idea with the engineers now. Wow. Our thanks to Tian Stupasan, who is the economics researcher on Solidarity's Research Institute. Uh, Jean-Pierre, it looks almost uh, blatantly crass, doesn't it? A way to channel money to a friend of South Africa's when indeed South Africa needs all the money that we can possibly get. Indeed, very worrying to hear what uh, Tian says has uh, reported on. And uh, I remember, I think it's roughly a decade ago now that um, travel restrictions were lifted between the U.S. and Cuba. And at the start, it was this in thing for U.S. travelers to go to Cuba and see how it is in the bygone era with all the cars still stuck in the 1960s and people living as if, uh, they still lived, uh, you know, the type of lifestyle of 50 years ago. And where we are now, it's not that funny anymore. It's not that quaint anymore. These days, uh, U.S. travelers might go on a cruise and maybe in the day go and see what the life looks like in Cuba. But at night, they go back to the cruise ship to get a nice hot shower and a nice meal. So, uh, yes, it's very worrying. And uh, if we do need help, uh, one would think that we have other places to go to that have got engineers that can suit our circumstances and have the skills rather than Cuba. As the big question is, if we do need help, when you've got many well-trained South Africans who are not being employed, 
just to close off with you, Tins, is this because they are white that they're not getting the jobs? Well, that was implied by the um, minister, Minister Lindibe Sisulu, um, clearly said that um, she got two and then five responses um, on an ad that was reportedly broadcast on 702. I am yet to encounter someone who's found that ad, but um, yeah, she clearly said that she found two and then five responses. They were white, and yeah, then she ends it there. But obviously, the implication is that because the interested engineers were white, they could not be appointed. We've got to get past this garbage. We really have to. We're a nation, yeah. supposedly, um, really. I mean, it's 25 years on, longer than a quarter of a century. Okay, uh, Tians, thanks for updating us there. And as I said, there's an excellent piece in this week's Financial Mail by Justice Malala where he makes the same point, although his point is to say to the ANC, look, we know you love the Cubans. Uh, just be honest and send them the money rather than uh, putting us through this, uh, rather than treating us, South Africans as though we are thick. You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour brought to you by the team at biznews.com. Well, Justin's much more informed when it comes to crypto. Uh, do you want to introduce our next guest? John, good to have you back on the show. John, this morning I woke whoa, up. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Introduce him. We don't know who he is. Uh, this is John Avadia, uh, CEO of OVEX, their crypto trading platform. Uh, Luno's competitors. John, good to have you back on the show. Uh, woke up to some concerning news that the FSCA um, have said that you guys aren't aren't allowed to give financial advice with regards to your your Bitcoin or, or crypto arbitrage strategy. Tell us tell us a bit more because because this seems pretty serious, John. Yeah, sure. They uh, they actually made much more serious accusations. Uh, they said that. Um, OVEX is uh, operating unlawfully and that we're in contravention or that they suspect that we're in contravention of uh, the phase act. And they said quite a lot of nasty things that were picked up uh, by, uh, by quite a lot of the press, uh, quite a lot of the press that we're actually quite close with. So we always obviously woke up with quite a shock. Um, yesterday, the FSCA contacted me about uh, one of our products, so the arbitrage service. They stated that um, they had a bunch of questions. I said, Sounded nothing too serious. They said we have till the 12th of uh, May to reply. Um, so I, I wasn't too concerned at all. Our compliance officer was preparing the response and, and whatnot. This morning I wake up uh, to have all of our advertising halted. Um, articles going out about how we're operating in contravention with the uh, with the FASE Act and, and all of this. Yeah, so, so I immediately contacted the FSCA to understand what was going on. They said that uh, someone in the office, an intern, some very young hire, was just basically acting on their own accord and completely, completely out of line. Um, we are not operating in a regulated space at all, although we have nothing wrong with it. We wish that it was a regulated space. That way, nasty surprises like this wouldn't just crop up out of nowhere. I mean, we would, yeah. Um, so, so we have nothing wrong with that. Unfortunately, it's not possible at the moment to be regulated. We are in the process of acquiring um, a FSP license to get, uh, to, get um, to do fire Forex because... Due to the nature of our business, clients sending money overseas to buy cryptocurrencies, a lot of those transactions taking place. Uh, and we do about three, well, our clients do about three, four million dollars a day of that type of transaction, but we always do it through a regulated um, financial service provider. John, I've got no doubt your PRT must have been working on overdrive this morning. Uh, but tell us a little bit more about this. Tell about us a little bit more about this arbitrage strategy. In all honesty, it does sound a little bit too good to be true, John. Yeah, no, it definitely does sound too good to be true. But uh, there is one caveat that makes it not sound too good to be true, and that's the fact that it's limited. Um, so you're limited to do your uh, your foreign investment allowance, which is 10 million rand, and your regular allowance, which is 1 million rand. That's cumulative trading per year. So, I mean, you can make 2 to 3 4% per per trade and per day, completely risk-free. It is, it is an awesome. Well, you do have a risk. The risk is the counterparties. Uh, the fact that you use an exchange, the exchange might get hacked, all those issues. Uh, but otherwise, it is it is completely risk-free. Um, but then you can't do unlimited arbitrage. You you can only do as much as your foreign ex- uh, investment allowance allows, and that means you can make a profit of about twenty thousand to as high as two hundred fifty thousand rand per year through through these strategies. And it's as simple as sending money overseas, buying cryptocurrency, uh, bringing it back to South Africa, and selling it uh, at two and a half to as high as five percent more than. Uh, 
than you paid overseas. Okay, so you've told us that you're doing everything legitimately and that there's some intern sitting at the regulator who's decided they broke all the rules from the regulator and issued a statement uh, that yeah. you guys are. Sounds crazy. It sounds as crazy as 2.5% a day return. <laughs> <laughs> Jean-Pierre, come help me here. 2.5% a day return. Uh, well, let me just you know all about arbitrage, Jean-Pierre. <laughs> but just a quick thing about the FSCO. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just just, quick, just quick, respond quick. there. Mm-hmm. Please. Um, yeah. So, 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 yeah. So, it was literally completely out of line. They were meant to wait for, uh, and they said it was a young new hire. Um, they've issued a retractment uh, quite quickly afterwards. I'm not sure if you guys saw that. No. Uh, um, saying that uh, that they they were they were wrong to say that, and they put a caveat saying pending investigation. I told them this is unacceptable. We have clients that are that are basically want to leave because of this. This is completely completely incompetent on your part. Um, then they immediately escalated it. I, re- I had a, just got off a call with Gerard um, from the FSCA. I believe he's very senior there. Uh, he's closing the investigation, and tomorrow they'll announce that OVEX is completely compliant in, in what we do. Yeah. Uh, John, just a question on the arbitrage. Is the spread always in the same direction? So is the currency, the cryptocurrency, always more expensive in a specific market? Yeah, it is almost always, but not not uh, not 100% of the time. So there are times when the spread is actually negative, and those are great great opportunities to make money. If uh, if a South African sees the spread go negative, meaning you can buy a cryptocurrency here for cheaper than overseas, what they should do is immediately take every cent they have, buy a cryptocurrency, wait for the spread to go up, uh, wait for the the spread to go back to a positive because that's where it is 99% of the time, and sell it at a profit. Uh, which is actually a really profitable trading strategy, which, uh, which we deploy over here at times as well. You know, it reminds me a lot of uh, a company called Matheson & Hollage, which was a stockbroker, which in the 1980s, okay, I know ancient history, but it, it's got the same parallels, uh, we started doing secondary market bond trading in South Africa. Up to that point, would you believe, we didn't have a secondary market in bonds. And they used to mint money because they understood what was going on when everybody else was ignorant. Is it similar here, John, that you've got an inside track because actually you've made a a study of this market and you can just see the obvious and other people yet are yet to discover it? Yeah, absolutely. That's the case in in the whole of the cryptocurrency ecosystem where there's there really are these opportunities everywhere where it's it's quite crazy where you see opportunities to make significant returns uh, for essentially nothing just because you're in the, I guess, in the right place at the right time by being in the cryptocurrency space at the moment. Jean-Pierre? I think it's also important to, to emphasize the risk that John did allude to, and that is the counterparty risk. Uh, if you look in the crypto space at the moment, there isn't a custodian as we have in the share market where uh, even if you lose your share certificate, it has been dematerialized and it is somewhere stored in electronic form and no one can effectively steal it. In the crypto space, we don't have that. And therefore, as John correctly said, one still has this risk of even exchanges being hacked and people can lose all their cryptocurrency. So I think it's just important to emphasize that this is not risk-free. There's still counterparty risk. And in the arbitrage, that spreads can go both ways. It can be positive, they can be negative. And therefore, people should just know what they are getting into, which is at the moment an unregulated market. And John, can you give us some indication of what you need to do to get to a regulated space? Because the FSCA, as you correctly also mentioned, has said they are going to regulate the crypto space. What changes do you need to make in your business for that? So we are actually ready for when they roll out that regulation. So the essentially to get regulated, we just need them to announce that there's a category for crypto asset providers. And, and we'll apply for it tomorrow and we would be compliant. What, they, what they're doing, what they're going to require, uh, first of all, will be strict compliance with FICA. Uh, so to make sure that all clients um, uh, submit their FICA documents and that uh, no money laundering or anything or like fraud um, or anything like that can take place e- easily. It's something we do anyway. It's something that's required quite strongly for a company of, of our size and the big <laughs> providers like Luna um, and ourselves. Uh, by our banking partners. So our banking partners make sure that uh, that we are up to date with that kind of stuff. And then furthermore, um, uh, they'll just make sure that marketing and uh, 
um, mostly marketing and claims and financial advice is all done in a proper manner, which we don't give any financial advice. Marketing, we do make sure to only uh, make claims of what's possible and not false claims. And what about a custodian? Because that is another issue that because cryptos were made to be anonymous, it means that whoever has got the key to the wallet effectively controls the crypto. So how do you get around that, that it's only the real owner of the crypto that has the wallet key and that yourselves or other exchanges don't have that key or if they need access to that key, that it's kept by a custodian and not some individual that can walk away with the key? Yeah, sure. So so one um, trend in the crypto space that is moving towards that is this trend of decentralized exchanges. So decentralized exchange is, a, is an on-chain exchange, which means it's not run by anyone. It's a software product that's being developed and released onto the uh, blockchain, uh, usually on Ethereum, where you can go with your coins, you custody them yourself, you, you, and you swap them, and you immediately receive the, the, the other coin you swapped it for back into your wallet, where you are the custodian yourself all the time, instead of having to trust a third-party um, exchange or, or, or centralized exchange, as, uh, as they're generally called. The, the problem with those is they're quite slow and expensive, um, but they definitely are where the industry is moving. And we're actually exploring launching uh, a, a decentralized exchange that has um, Fika and KYC built in, which is, which is something that doesn't exist at the moment. All decentralized exchanges allow you to come and be anonymous when you trade. Uh, but we're looking at actually developing one that, that will have Fika built in, which, is, which could be quite interesting. John Avadia is the CEO of OVEX and, well, it's not really a storm in a teacup, but uh, it's, we'll wait for tomorrow and we'll see the, uh, the, the, the retraction from the yeah. authorities. Exactly. I haven't seen that happening ever yeah. before, so this could be quite yeah. a biggie for Especially for coming from a regulatory body such as the FSCA. Normally they come out with these kind of things once they've done their due diligence, they've done their homework, and it's almost... Yeah, they really drop so the ball on the So it's good to hear from uh, John that the OVEX boys aren't crossing the line. Well, we are going to find out now a little bit more, uh, uh, well, another successful business because clearly John's business is making uh, good profits in an area where there's massive ignorance. Neil Froneman went into an area where there's anything but ignorance. It's hugely researched what's going on in the mining industry. He made a, a massive bet in the United States buying still water for what was at that stage primarily a gold operation. Uh, he also bought some platinum assets for what is now Sabanya Stillwater, and it's been on a ro- uh, on a roll. Today we got the first quarter result. But uh, Neil, before we talk to you, we want you to listen to Jamie Dimon, and I'm sure you've paid people like Jamie Dimon lots of money, uh, the chief executive um, of one of the major American banks, when you've done your various transactions. And this is what he had to say about the world post. COVID. It's from our partners at the Wall Street Journal. You've been in the office since June. Mm-hmm. Um, you have strong feelings about having other people in the office. Yeah. What's your expectation at J.P. Morgan as we reopen? I, I'm shocked. First of all, the press is at home. So one of the obsessions is the press is at home talking on Zoom. It's like, but the American public knows 100 million people go to work every day. 55,000 people go to our branches every day. Firemen, police, sanitation, hospitals, retail, pharmacies, banks, groceries. It's 40 million of them go to work. And yeah, kind of they like it at home and stuff like that. It doesn't work really well. So um, the, my view is there will be hybrid, more hybrid work. So accelerate that. Remember, a lot of reporters can work at home and they're writing something. Then you go to the newsroom oh, to man. get ideas and share stuff. Same for our, same for our bankers and you know, private bankers, and investment bankers, and, and same for our salespeople. So they're on the road some of the time. There should be more of it. You can do more work from your vacation home. You can do more work. From, that's fine. It's just not going to change everything so dramatically. It accelerated a trend, but it does not work for younger people. It doesn't work for those who want to hustle. It doesn't work in terms of spontaneous idea generation. So, how, how does it work like, for your culture in terms it, of? It, do, it doesn't work for culture. Yeah. So, I think you know we're, we've told people we expect them on May seventeenth, one or two days a week. Get used to it. Get your head wrapped around it. Get your head wrapped around the fact that we may. If we can, the legal issues about requiring vaccines, uh, but by Ju- by mid July, fifty percent will be back in. Obviously, according to the laws, 
if you have religious or other reasons, you know, we're not going to make you, but we want people back at work. And my view is sometimes September, October, it'll look just like it did before. So I just don't think the world's going to be that dramatically different. And you and, personally like, have had it with Zoom, right? Yeah, I'm about to cancel all my Zoom meetings. <laughs> I, I just think they're just, I'm, I'm done with it, you know, yeah. and like, and I, I'm going to Boston today. I went, to, I mean, I went to California for three days. This is about six months ago. And I met with 100 or 150 people all outside, all safe. And I met with a women's group, venture capitalists, private equity, investors, uh, CEOs, uh, tech people. You know, you know what you get to see? I got to see my bankers in action. You know, over a glass of wine, the clients tell me the truth about why we did get a piece of business or why we didn't. A lot of the tech people are telling me that we should be using more of this in our data centers and more of that. So after two and a half days, I go, you're brimming with ideas and thoughts. And you don't get that from the Zoom world. So Jamie Dimon says that JP Morgan is bringing all their staff back into the office, Neil Froneman. Uh, You can't mine without people. So presumably your staff have mostly been on the minds, but what about you? What about uh, what he had to say there of, of doing deals? You are the ultimate deal maker here in South Africa at the moment. Have you been doing deals by Zoom? Um, Alec, um, absolutely. Um, we have two models, um, um, and both of them are predicated on ensuring people are safe and healthy. Um, operationally, you, 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 can't, you can't do it via a Zoom. You have to be at the rock face. Your your supervisors have to be present, um, and um, there, there's got to be leadership. Um, that's where we have uh, very stringent protocols, and um, we've shown that the the COVID rates in our underground mines is one third of that in the community. So our protocols around social distancing, sanitizing, and all those sort of things actually work, but. Where I disagree with Jamie is um, I don't believe there's a post-COVID environment. Um, and and those jobs that um, can be done in a corporate environment, I think, can be actually done better. Um, now, there are the aspects of um, uh, culture and interfacing with people. But, you know, um, if, if that's your drive, then you can arrange... Um, very focused sessions to achieve those things. You can meet in a coffee shop if you want, if you need social stimulation and so on. You don't have to open a whole office um, and lose the, the, the effects and the, the, the efficiencies of um, um, this new working environment. Um, so we've introduced a concept called SOHO, which is small office, home office, it's allowed us to have people around the world working for us. Um, we are more productive, um, but we are sensitive to those issues that he raises. And um, we can get a lot of M&A type stuff done. Um, you still need site visits. You still need to do due diligence type work um, that's not just in the data room. Um, so it is more difficult, and travel is obviously a a big uh, problem or constraint at the moment in terms of getting uh, DD done in, in, in foreign countries. Let's just go back to that uh, deal, which has created to a large degree, or those deals that have created this, the spectacular set of financial results that you released today. First of all, going into platinum here in South Africa, and secondly, doing the still water deal. Did you have a crystal ball or did you guys sit around a table and say, we think PGMs, Platinum Group Metals, are the future. Let's go in there as big as we can and and take a huge bet. Because had it gone the other way, you would be what was a gold miner would now be struggling. But, of course, it's a full credit to you because you got it right. Yeah. Um, no, look, we, we did it in a very thoughtful way and it started from – us um, understanding our core competency, which was really about running um, medium to deep labor-intensive mines in South Africa. We know how to prosper in this environment. Um, The gold industry in South Africa is ex-growth, so that wasn't a place where we could grow. Um, PGM mining is, is similar, but the market is completely different. We bought Bought, brought in a number of experts um, 
to make sure we understood the supply and demand characteristics of uh, these metals. And, um, and, and we, we developed a, a fundamentally robust view of the future of PGMs. And, um, and what you don't know is, are the prices going to continue to go down uh, in the short term? When is the best time to make that move? But we developed a strategy which involved some geographical diversification because of the the issues we face in South Africa, and we moved very quickly. There were we were running two transactions at a time, and and one of those Lonman we actually stepped back to do Stillwater because our view was we there was no other buyer for Lonman, not not a serious buyer anyway, and it was going to get cheaper. Um, but we had a, a supportive board. We had a well-informed strategy and we understood the uh the commodity those particular commodities uh, very well and and we moved very quickly to to um secure our position and in a way we we did bet the farm and what you what, what nearly tripped us up were you know unforeseen events such as the safety incidents we had in 2018 we had a plan to deleverage we could deleverage at current uh, commodity prices, but uh, an, an unexpected event um, um, like that is 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 what you you really have to plan for, and uh, and and we weren't well prepared for that. We we dealt with it and came through it, thank goodness. But it was tough. Neil Q one unbelievable. Q two is looking even better where the PGM basket is now. The last time we spoke, you said you were focused on increasing your multiple. The price has stayed the same. The earnings have increased, i.e., the multiples decreased. What's what's happening? To, what's the market looking at? And, and dis- disclosure: He's just bought some shares today. So I, I he's, bought he's on a, the weakness. He's a, Sabanya, on the weakness. he's a Sabanya shareholder. So you're talking to a shareholder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, um, we we are. Uh, battling to get the earnings potential of the group well understood. So we're constantly behind the curve. Um, our share price has stagnated a bit in the last few weeks, but uh, we, we've, we've generally outperformed our peers, but we, we've all sort of stagnated. I think there's a little bit of uh, investor concern. Is this the top of the market? Personally, I don't believe it because the fundamentals looking forward are more robust uh, for these metals, um, so so we 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 just our, our we are not able to catch up with our earnings, if that makes sense. Our share price is not increasing fast enough with the earnings that we are producing, and uh, and the market actually wants to see those earnings before they actually give you credit for it, um, especially when you've come out of a difficult time like we have, highly leveraged and uh, COVID disruptions and so on. Um, but what you're seeing uh, is the earnings potential very clearly in quarter one, 20 billion uh, EBITDA, just under 20 billion. Um, commodity prices have increased. Um, I can only compliment you on uh, on making the move when you have. <laughs> yeah, I, I had to buy on the weakness deal. I mean, I saw, I saw those numbers and it, at a stage it was 2% down. I just couldn't believe my luck. Um so, yeah, uh, but Jean-Pierre, what are your thoughts? I know you're not necessarily a commodity bull, uh, and I, I generally take your opinions very seriously, but I have, ta- I have changed my stance on, on commodities as a whole. Do you have any questions for Neil? Yes, well, firstly, I also own Sabanya Stillwater in, in uh, the funds under my management, uh, so also bullish on the share. And then, Neil, as you mentioned, you, you, you're generating $20 billion of EBITDA, or it might even increase. You've uh, indicated you wouldn't mind if we get to a South African gold champion, uh, that could be some use of that funds if Savania is part of that consolidation. But what else can you see doing with your cash windfall? We know you bought Caliber, which was a small acquisition in Finland and uh, gaining exposure to lithium. Uh, but what's the next chapter, do you think, for Savania still? Yeah, so, so Jean, um, the, we, we're very focused on capital allocation. So, First of all, the the commitments to um, uh, allocate the 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 very substantial amounts of money we're making, according to the structure that we shared at year end, which is essentially um, some organic growth projects. Um, that commitment is there, building up a bit of reserves in case we have further lockdowns and offsetting some of the 
the long-term debt we got, that's happening as we speak. Um, dividends are predictable, committed to, and, um, and accounted for. Um, post that, um, it really becomes um, um, actually buying back some of your debt. Um, and um, we don't want to be completely uh, ungeared. Un so we, we're not going to buy back all our debt. And then, of course, share buybacks play a role. You know, um, if we weren't in a closed period, uh, uh, we could have well been buying back shares today, but we're not quite ready and we're in a closed period. And then, of course, um, then it's M&A and, and external growth. And some of them, um, um, just like we entered the PGM business, we took two years to do the work I described. We took two years to do the battery metals work we, we've just done and Caliber is the first step. Um, and um, and there will be some more steps, but that's all got to be value accretive, difficult to um, always find value accretive uh, acquisitions. Gold is important to us because it's become such a small, a small part of our portfolio that we are still looking um, for the right type of uh, assets and uh, opportunities. But, uh, you know, that's on the tail end. And I know everybody thinks we deal crazy. But I can tell you, we've turned down many more deals than, than we've actually done because we can't find the value proposition or there's, um, there's, a, there's a problem, you know. And so, you'll just... So the just to close off with, uh, it's almost like a Sabanya Mark II here in South Africa at the moment, where Anglo is halving off its coal assets. Very similar to what Goldfields did with you. Uh, you were no longer favoured within the, the the future of Goldfields. They they put together a, a package of South African gold assets, uh, very long, uh, well, long in the tooth. You picked that up, and you've made a, a magnificent. Uh, uh, well, you've turned that to account with, with magnificent value accretion for shareholders there. When you look at what Anglo is doing with its coal assets, uh, where its shareholders don't want the assets anymore, the South African coal assets, are we seeing a replay there? And, and I'm trying to get some idea or somewhere where we can go and do some homework and perhaps get in early. Yeah, look, I am... Um... I must say, I wish I was half the age I am at the moment. Uh, there's so many opportunities out there. Um, and and the only problem, I, listen, I think these, when things become non-core, there are wonderful opportunities for, for the right uh, management teams because generally these assets are not, um, they're not focused on and therefore don't receive as much of the management attention that they should have. So the, the new managers really um, take these assets and do things with them that uh, were not possible in the original company or they just have a whole lot more uh, dedicated focus. Now, the only difference between what Anglo's doing and what happened to Goldfields uh, and doing it, uh, you know, creating a Sabanya is you've got a problem with coal. You've got a challenge with uh, carbon issues. Now, that's not all bad because... A coal company, I think, um, has a very substantial cash generation base and can reinvent itself in so many ways. There's a lot of opportunity in the energy markets. Um, and certainly, I think it would be a wonderful opportunity if I was running a coal company. Neil Freineman, the chief executive of Sabanya Stillwater, after some spectacular first quarter results that came out today, and a new shareholder. Justin, I'm proud of you. I, I really am that you can see these opportunities and actually you put your money where your mouth is. Eagle eyes and uh, happy shareholders, uh, Jean-Pierre, <laughs> after hearing that. Yes, it uh, seems like we're all long Sabanya Stillwater. Beautiful. Well, our final guest for tonight is Kevin Wakeford. He's a gent who's well known in the South African business community, not in the current guise, which is making a um, presentation to the Zondo Commission. Uh, Kevin is the former chairman of Donnell. He was involved uh, with Bossasa, which has become a bit of a swear word in South Africa, and he was named by Angelo Agrizi, the ostensible. Uh, whistleblower on Basasa at the original 
Zondo Commission. Uh, today, Kevin, you had the opportunity to explain why what Mr. Greasy was saying about you wasn't accurate. Do you think that your story was believed? I think so, uh, Alec. I have no doubt. Uh, yeah, firstly, d- let me just make a correction. I applied to cross-question at Gritzi um, two years ago. In fact, longer than two years. Two years and four months ago. Um, I've finally been given my opportunity, but before you can cross-question, you've got to you've got to give testimony. You've got to give your version of events. That's what I did today, very happily, um, and. Uh, it's very, very simple. Um, the, um, th- there were two basic allegations, primary allegations. The one was that I influenced uh, George Papadakis of SARS uh, from a perspective of arranging uh, free cement for him as reimbursement for assisting with a major tax, organ- uh, tax investigation uh, during the year 2009. Um, there, there was no investigation during 2009, and uh, so there's no quid pro quo, no link uh, to anything of that nature. Um, and um, according to Papadakis's affidavit that we got sight of yesterday and read out portions of it today, um, he paid for his cement in any event. So... Uh, yeah, I, just to stop you there and, and to, to support that, I know I have known George for many years. Uh, he is a forensic auditor. He's the guy who puts Correct. the bad guys into jail, and yet he's now Whoa. supposedly being, a, being corrupt. Well, but Agrizi yeah, no. says he, you paid him and he, he got it wrong. Yeah. Clearly. Okay. Yeah, he, he got that wrong. There's no quid pro quo, no, no evidence whatsoever of a major investigation in 2009. The first major investigation, in fact, was much later than that and started in 2011. Um, and, and the other allegation was that um, I arranged as advisor to the minister on the turnaround project at Home Affairs that I'd arrange an extension to the Lindella contract through a certain uh, Anil Radhakrishna, who was a public sector finance expert and who was contracted to Fever Tree. Um, well, um, we proved today beyond any doubt uh, that there was no extension to anything. And in fact, the addendums that brought about major cost savings for the department as a result of the turnaround uh, merely uh, allowed Home Affairs the discretion, should they so wish, to extend it in 2015, long after we'd left. However, that did not happen in any event, but it was solely at the discretion of Home Affairs. So uh, the gentleman did not have his facts straight, um, and he made wild allegations which caused unbelievable pain for all concerned, myself, Anil Radhakrishna, as well as George Papadakis, and I'm sure many other people. Um, And I think he misrepresented the facts in most occasions in relation to Busasa. I can't speak about everything because they were just one of my many clients. Um, But the, the bottom line is today I felt went very well. We put the facts on the table. I think I was one of the few people who had kept sufficient evidence uh, to disprove every single thing he said. Uh, what did it cost you? You said earlier that it's taken two years. How much of your own effort and financial effort has this been? Because anybody can stand up and make allegations, but to be able to disprove them, uh, you need to bring lawyers and, and pretty expensive resources to bear. Yeah, lawyers and forensic accountants and advocates and that's what I had to do. I, I had to use up considerable funds, um, you know, ranging from uh, my arms corps pension fund that I was paid out on to other pension and provident funds that I'd retained over the years. All of that has evaporated. But that's fine, Alec. Um, you know, that's life. You've, you've got to take, uh, you've got to take the hard knocks from time to time. I think you well know that I'm used to that. Um, and I develop lockjaw on an issue, and I won't give up until uh, until I know the truth has been um, told. And that's what happened today. And I'm feeling 
I'm feeling relieved and I look forward to a cross-questioning session uh, of Angela Gritzi and Franz Forster. Just to close off with Kevin, why did Gritzi do this? Why did he make these allegations about you, which clearly he could not, he could not prove because, of, as you've just said now, the evidence yeah. says they're not true. Yeah. Alec, he, he made them about me as a result of me challenging him, you know, from day one. I questioned his integrity. I questioned his attitude on, on, on race relations. I questioned his attitude on um, getting non-racialism to work as well as an inclusive economy in this country, because that's the only way we're going to get a market system to work where all stakeholders benefit from the system. Yeah, but but what at the I, end of the yeah, day... What I'm getting at, Kevin, sorry, is yeah. that he went to a commission of inquiry he made. Yes. He was our great whistleblower. He was our great uh, exposer of uh, mistruths uh, or untruths at Bosasa. If he was making these false allegations against you, what was his motive, or was he making false allegations against others as well? Woolly, I think he was making a a broad swipe of 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 allegations, most of which were lies. I think the intent there was. You, you must remember there's a whole body of evidence at BizNews called the Basasa Files, and I quote them extensively, so thank you very much, Alec, uh, because you brought all of that into the public domain, and that assisted us greatly in proving that um, he never had a Damascene experience in 2016 uh, with his heart tumor. Um, in fact, uh, right through from 2016 through to 2018, he was trying to take over the company. I presented the evidence in that regard. He had his fifth column, uh, which was approximately five people, maybe more at Busasa that he took across to Criaris, a new company, and he used those, those people to sign, he scripted the affidavits for him and they merely signed them um, in, in, 20, in, in 2017 already. And then when, when, he was, when criminal charges were filed against he then went to the commission. Um, after his 2016 Damascene experience, he only did that um, you know, late in 2018. Um, and there's plenty of evidence pointing to a, a potential takeover of the company, trying to take it over, then trying to become the, the CEO again. And, and to be quite frank with you, um, most of his evidence and so-called whistleblowing, um, and of course, I don't believe he was ever a whistleblower and no one else who joined him to give evidence, they were really trying to recraft the truth and recreate history by giving evidence at, at the Zondo Commission. Kevin Wakeford, thank you. Uh, we could go on on this one, Justin, for the whole day. But uh, he is Kevin is is our uh, well, he's our thought leader for today. And this thought leadership feature was made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs match life insurance. It changes as your life changes. Uh, at Brightrock, we believe that change can unlock amazing opportunities. We've partnered with industry leaders to provide you with tips and tools to help you navigate life's big change moments. Welcome uh, to this week's thought leadership feature, which featured Kevin Wakeford, who today presented evidence to the Zondo Commission. Well, before we leave, let's find out on the markets. The JSE All Share Index was up at 67,600. Some of the day's highlights included Sabanya up 1.2% to 67 rand a share as the company announced an upbeat Q1 trading statement. ABM Bev up 4.5% to 1,050 rand a share as the company announced a better than expected Q1 performance in a change in chief executive. Distal up 4.5% to 132 rand as people start loading up for the weekend ahead and sappy down 4.5% to 48 rand a share. In the currency markets, the rand strengthened against all the major currencies to 14 rand 23 to the dollar, 19 rand 76 to the pound and 17 rand 16 to the euro. Gold is up at $1,814 an ounce. Rand crude is trading at $69 a barrel and the premier cryptocurrency will put you back 810,000 rand a Bitcoin. And this market report was made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs match life insurance that changes as your life changes. Jean-Pierre, it's been lovely having you as our guest co-host tonight. You didn't really get a chance to comment much on what Kevin Wakeford had to say, excepting, I suppose, uh, all is not ever what it seems.
Mm, yes, and the truth will set us all free, Alex. So uh, that's the one thing the Zona Commission is showing. We need to dig deep for it, but hopefully the truth comes out and we can have this cathartic, uh, positive and true cathartic experience. But thank you for the last hour, both to you, Alec, and to Justin. It's been a pleasure, and your contribution, uh, as always, was, what does uh, Barney say? Awesome. Awesome. We love to pick the brains of Jean-Pierre. Indeed we do, and we will continue to do that in future. Thank you, Jean-Pierre, and thank you for being with us uh, wherever you might be picking up this program uh, in the world, on FMR in Cape Town, on the live stream via businessradio.com, or on our uh, video camera, in-studio video camera on YouTube. Remember, all Business Power Hour shows are recorded and available on the major channels, uh, including on biznews.com, as, uh, biznewsradio.com that you can pick it up from until tomorrow with Festive Friday. You're talking about distill, loading up for the weekend, <laughs> giving away if all your secrets. Here. If it's up four and a half on Thursday, it's going to at least be a double digits tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back again 5.30 tomorrow. Until then, cheerio. You've been listening to the Power Hour brought to you by the team at Biznews. News.